Well, it's a great privilege to be here. Thank you. It's a great honor and also a joy to come and, and uh, greet so many friends. Thank you for always making us feel at home. And um, I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open as we work in this uh, passage and, um, and even to participate if I ask questions, okay? I'm famous for asking questions to those who fall asleep. Um, so, no, it's not true. Um, and, um, but uh, please uh, join with us in reflecting in the Word of God. This passage uh, came to me uh, when I was uh, really working in other passages. And, and you know, when you're very busy preparing a series of other things, and suddenly a church asks you to preach on, this, on a given passage, <clears throat> it's like an interruption, because you, you need other tools, other things, and take a special time to prepare this, uh, to, to reflect on this new passage. And this is what happened. And, uh, but I'm so grateful, so grateful, because the passage has ministered me, has ministered others, and I hope, I really pray that will minister you as well. It's a very beautiful and, uh, and nevertheless, very deep passage. Uh, please go to John chapter 12. The triumphal entry of Jesus has happened. He is in Jerusalem. Uh, amazing things have happened. He has uh, brought from death uh, back into life uh, to Lazarus. He's immensely famous. Uh, um, and the Pharisees are very angry against him. And now there are some Greek, some Greek people. You know, in, in Mexico, we're famous for never queuing, never ma uh, making a line to get something. Uh, this morning when I was coming here, I saw that before the turn to the right, there was a huge line. And the next lane, only two cars. And the big Mexican temptation came to me. You see, what if I just go on the left lane and they just cut in front? It's what we would do, you see. And it's what I would do. And, and of course, uh, that temptation was there because we really want to get where we want and use all sorts of tricks and influences. Well, the Greek as well did as well. Because look in this passage. Now there were some Greeks, verse 12, verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. 
My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. And I will glorify it again. Let's pray. Dear Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus to fill up our hearts with your word. With your love, with your wisdom, and with your courage. Especially when we have to face troubled times. When like, when your son Jesus had to face death. Such a terrible and violent and awful death for us. We will be willing, Lord, for the sake of your kingdom, for your own glory, to glorify your name with our lives and the way in which we face those troubled times. We ask you, in the name of our powerful Savior, the one who sacrificed his innocent life for us sinner, sinners, who was ready to give up everything he had for us to get it all. Amen. Well, these Greeks, as uh, Mexicans would do, instead of trying to queuing and trying to approach Jesus because he was surrounded by so many people, what they did was to look for somebody who for sure they had met before. You see? Because uh, Bethsaida in Galilee was a place very close by uh, from another Greek place, famous uh, city in the north of Bethsaida. So it's very likely that uh, before uh, Philip was a disciple of Jesus, they had met. Perhaps uh, doing um, uh, merchant things, uh, perhaps in the market or uh, in business. And they had met before. And it's quite likely that that was the reason for them to approach him. And then, of course, he goes, asks his brother, Andrew, and the two of them talk and say, okay, come. And they take them to Jesus. It's very interesting that when this Greek come to Jesus, Jesus doesn't speak in the terms he would speak to the Jews. He would say to the Jews, uh, he would use the the little sheep that was needed uh, to be slain in order for God to forgive the sins of people. In this case, he doesn't. Maybe because the Greek were not going to understand that metaphor. And he uses another. A metaphor from, for, for farmers that anybody could understand. And the metaphor is so simple, but at the same time so powerful. If you don't let a little grain of corn or wheat or anything die and destroy itself when it's humid in the earth, there will be no new life. And he is putting himself 
as that little kernel that is going to be destroyed for us to have life. But as he does it, he says he makes a very personal confession. The confession of pain, fear, that he's scared in front of what is coming. And he says, now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? In between the colonel and that, he mentions something that we need to come back to. If anyone wants to serve me, must follow me. If anyone wants to be my servant, he, she should be where I am. And right there, he confesses his trouble, his troubled heart. But the way he does it, for one moment, moment makes you think, is Jesus saying, Father, get me out of here? Father, will you find any other way so I shall not have to meet pain and death? No. See how he does it. Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Wow. You know, when we, we, we meet uh, trouble, when we meet suffering... When we have to face it, we always need to discern what kind of suffering we are facing. The first and obvious is, are we facing suffering out of sin? What we would call deserved suffering, suffering that we were looking for in our lives? Sometimes we do. A great part, a great deal of the crisis, the financial crisis that is happening today in the world, we were looking for it. In terrible greed, in a terrible desire of being powerful and wealthy without any limits and without any care. Thinking that wealth was the answer for life. And somehow, we were living in this virtual world in which we could risk everything in exchange for wealth. And a lot of the suffering that we are going through uh, today in this world has to do with that. It's a lot of deserved suffering. And many people have to go through that. And many of us look for trouble, and we get it, we find it. But what about undeserved suffering? What about that suffering that comes to you completely unexpected? That hits you from behind or from the side when you are not looking for it. And even more precisely when you're serving the Lord and when you're dedicating your life to the Lord and you get the full impact of pain and suffering in yourself or in your dear ones. How are we going to interpret that? You see, if you have a little time, 
when you're at home, read First Peter, the first letter he wrote. You're going to love it. The whole theme of it is how Christians can respond to undeserved suffering. What is the Christian response? What God says about undeserved suffering. But let me, let me read you a little bit of it with a little context. You see, these people used to live in Jerusalem and they became Christians. And then because of their faith, they were scattered all around Asia Minor. And suddenly from having their own homes and their own wealth and their own networks, and their own relatives, and their own communities, they had nothing because they had followed Jesus. And now they were suffering because they were followers of Jesus. And they were, of course, asking themselves, how is it possible that because we are following the light, the darkness is hitting us so hard? How is that possible? And they are asking themselves over and over that question. And Peter answers to them in a fantastic way. He, he says to them, uh, <clears throat> and I'm not going to preach about First Peter, okay? Um, see beyond the circumstances. Remember who you are first of all. You see? You are the chosen ones. Christ died for you. An amazing ransom. The the Son of God was given as ransom for your rescue. You were nobody, now you are royal priesthood. You were lost, you were not people, you are now the people of God. Isn't that amazing? See? See beyond your circumstances. Remember who you are. And this is because you obeyed when faith was presented to you. And because of that, now you have come to be part of God's family. So see beyond the circumstances when this pain is hurting you. And use the power that has come to you through the Holy Spirit... To transform your relationships. In such a way. In such a way that your lifestyle. Will be a great example to the rest of the world. They are going to glorify God. Because of you. In the day when God visits us again. So let that power get in you in such a way. That people will know, will, you will make evident who you are. And that needs to be shown in your lifestyle. Of course, he, he says something like this in verse 4, in chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer, 
or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Isn't that amazing? Yes. But there is a third kind of suffering. Again, this is the kind of suffering you're looking for. But this is the kind of suffering that only God can do, and then those who follow him, his servants. You see, the first, the first uh, suffering I mentioned is the suffering that we get because we deserve it. The second kind of suffering that we get is the one that is undeserved. But the third kind of suffering is the suffering that Jesus had to go through for us, and we don't deserve it. Comes to us by grace. Comes to us for free. Comes to us because he loves us so much. You know, Jesus is troubled in this moment. And he says, no, I'm not going to ask my father to take me any other way and get me out of this situation. This is what I have come for. The suffering he was about to meet, to face, to endure, to let his body go through, and which was so terrible because he knew what it was, was going to be for us. So that we wouldn't have to suffer for eternity. The separation between God and us. And the separation from those who we love. For him to conquer death for us, for him to conquer pain for us, for him to conquer suffering for us, for he to conquer every single tear in our eyes for eternity, he had to take them all on him in the cross. That is so wonderful. At the same time that is something that gets into you and shakes you, is something for, wh- for which we would like to say, Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Can we say that? Hallelujah. Can we say, Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. No, I'm not taking you to another denomination. I'm just asking you <laughs> to shout and express the joy of discovering who God is for us. If he is for us, then we can go beyond the circumstances. Is it not? Yes. Even with with the pain in it. But before I finish, before I come to to work to the end, there are two more things that I need to mention. Jesus says something that we need to understand, Father, glorify your name. What does he mean? What, what is to glorify the name of God? What does it mean when we say glorify your name? It's difficult to find an answer. I tried and, and looked for many uh, commentaries and, and asked to some people, 
and prayed about it because it's a very, very mysterious expression. What I found is that it is basically Jesus is going to, is telling his father to glorify his name because he's telling his father to express all what he is, all the attributes of God in his life, in what he's going to go through. When we understand that, we understand the meaning of the cross. In the cross, then, we can see how God, how forgiving God is. In the cross, we can see how sacrificial God is. In the cross, we can see how just God is. And at the same time, time, how merciful he is. In the cross, we can understand how patient he is, how enduring he is. Because in the cross, we can see completely, completely express the attributes of our God. It's a God that is willing to die for his most beloved creation, us. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. He's revealing the glory of his name. He's revealing to us through that who he is. And the father answers to Jesus, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. But then the question, the last question comes to us, bounces back. Because Jesus, before saying he was troubled, he says that those who serve him, those who want to be his servants, must follow him. That those who want to serve him must be where he is. And are we willing to follow Jesus into sacrifice? Are we willing to follow Jesus into suffering for others? I am sure that we all can accept the Jesus that suffers for us. Yes. But then we need to start walking behind the master. Behind him. Behind the one who took the cross and accepted to die for us on it. Now, can we follow that kind of God? King, we say, Lord, glorify your name in my life. Glorify your name in my life. Glorify your name in my house. Glorify your name in my business. Glorify my name in the way I see others. Glorify that your name in all what I am? Let me tell you a little story. A few years ago, my wife and I were in, the, in Malaysia. We were working alongside for, for a month with another Christian agency who was trying to reach out to the poor. And, uh, and what they, they tried is for us 
to tell them some principles on how you get involved with the poor and how you use your life as a vehicle, as a bridge, you see, so that they can really understand what the love of God is like. And it was not easy. But one of those days, they said to us, like uh, really trying to, to, to see if we were for real, uh, they gave us this very big problem, and they told us, you know, there is a Kurd community, uh, and in this Kurd community, they really don't want to know anything about Christ. They are completely centered around their idols, and they are hermetic. You say hermetic, enclosed, you see, locked in, and they don't want to talk to us, and they would never come to our churches. Would you like to go? And see it. And my wife said, yeah, I mean, I'm curious. Why don't we go and visit them and, and see how they look like? As we came into the community, we saw the elephants being worshipped in these images with, of a, a man with an elephant uh, head and other animals and all these uh, Hindu expressions of, of worship. And, uh, and, of course, it was very impressive. And as we came in, m- most of them just stood like this, very, like frozen in front of all these people who looked so interested in their own things, which, which were so alien to them. My wife didn't care about that. Started to look a little lower and saw that over there there were some children playing ball. You see, they were running behind the ball as any other children in the world. So she started to approach them, smile to them, little by little, and then stay there looking at them, playing the ball, and then one of the children sent her the ball. And she sent the ball back. And then the ball came, and then they, she was included. She took her heels, uh, put them on side. My wife tends to use heels one is, once in a while. And, uh, and, uh, and then she started to play on the sand with these kids and run up and run down. But there was a kid over there who was like this, not smiling, not doing anything. And when they were resting, because it was a very hot day. He came very close to my wife and he just stood there. And my wife said with a smile, are you all right? Of course, we don't speak Kurd. We don't know what to do. We learned that to greet the Kurds, you go like, and we were doing that and my wife was doing that with every kid. See? with every kid, and, and he was, she was smiling to him, trying to make contact with him, because he looked so sad. And reaches out, the boy, grabs my wife's hand, and pulls her in into the community. And we go following. And we come to one of the most terrible scenes I've ever seen in my life. In this uh, shack, side of this shack, where people were crying and howling, which smelled so bad, there was a man, a dead man, in the center of, uh, 
of a bed. I mean, on, on, on the center of the room, on top of a bed, dead. And there was a woman chained to a pole, you see, next to the bed, crying. Her hair was between black and gray. She had been there, they told us, like three days. She wouldn't accept any food. She just wanted to die with her husband. And she was absolutely desperate. Of course, she hadn't gone to, to the toilet in three days. So her clothing was very, very dirty. She hadn't cleaned up herself in three days. And she didn't want anybody to approach her. I didn't know what to do. I was paralyzed. But you know, I was surprised when my wife comes and gets to her, kneels down next to her, and embraces and starts crying with her. And just crying. Touching her her, and crying and crying with her. After a while, both stopped crying. And my wife asked for food with her hand, with her sight. They understood food. And they took the plate with a spoon. And my wife, instead of giving her the food, takes food and eats it first. And says, mm. And then, with the same spoon, gives it to her. And she takes one spoonful for her and one spoonful for the, the woman, like about a baby. See? And the woman keeps eating and eating, finishes her soup. And then my wife asks for the key, for the lock. They come and lock the woman and lets her rest on her lap for a while, long while, and then asks them to come. And they come and carry the woman to another room, and they start cleaning her up, and she falls asleep. Then my wife stands up, goes out, starts washing her knees full of dirt, sand from the floor, and, uh, and the kid is there with his hand trying to clean up my wife's knees. Very grateful, see. We didn't have much, maybe a few candies, just gave it to them and left. Of course, they took us to the little church, Christian church, which was maybe 500 meters away, across the road. And as we came in, and we were shoeless, sat on a mat, I asked them, what did you see? 
One woman answered, I didn't see any, I was praying. I didn't see anything, I was praying. Okay, I asked to the others, what, what do you think? What do you think of what happened? And one lady says, I don't think she, your wife should wear skirts. <coughs> of course, we were like, uh, what? <laughs> but moralism is everywhere. You see. And what do you think of these people? And they answer, well, they never come. And I said, that is not the question. The question is if you go to them. You know, that's the question with a world in suffering. We Christians, even those who suffer among Christians, we have it all. We have Jesus. We have salvation. We have his word. We have it all. Can we take it to the suffering world who don't have it? They need us to get to them. And they need us to kneel together with them. We don't need language. We just need to have our heart in the right place, following the master, the one who was willing to give his life for us. May the Lord bless us all. Thank you.